Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Here in Proverbs 27, we have another chapter full of wise insights that can keep us safe and enjoying God's best. Now let's join Pastor Ross as he leads us verse by verse through the Word of God. Well, I must say you look ready to dig into the Bible tonight. Proverbs 27, let me say, I am going to miss the book of Proverbs. I have so enjoyed personally uh, teaching and sort of living in them as I have to teach them. And uh, you know that saying, you know, there's an app for that, you know, that I have found that in every facet of life, there's a proverb for that, you know. And so whenever I'm going throughout the day and there's a situation or a relationship uh, or a problem, there's always a, a pearl of wisdom that will come because we've been studying these uh, wise sayings. And if you're just joining us, we're in kind of a unique section of the Old Testament, and we do Old Testament on Wednesday night uh, to bring a, a, a balance because you can't understand Christianity or the gospel without understanding the root and the foundation of the gospel. So we make it a point to go through the Old Testament midweek service, but it's kind of a, a unique uh, book in that from chapters 10 to 29-ish, uh, there are these hundreds of these short two-sentence uh, sermonettes on uh, wise sayings, uh, how we can live uh, smartly and avoid a lot of uh, painful consequences of doing things, as the Bible calls it, stupid or without sense, uh, biblical, biblically speaking. And so it's been a real joy. And so uh, as I've said, oh, by the way, when we get to 30 and 31, so we'll be done in January. Uh, when we get to chapters 30 and 31, they, they begin to be longer discourses. So we'll say goodbye to the buckshot approach uh, to uh, this, this style of teaching. And then after that, I think we're going to go to Psalms. And now I don't think we can do every Psalm uh, because there are 150 of them. And so we would be in them for three years. At, honestly. 51 year, yeah, years, <laughs> weeks, you know. So I, I'm thinking of doing like the top psalms, the most well-known psalms, and then uh, we'll get the hang of it, all right? So are you ready to dig into the bag of the treasures of wisdom, pull up all these pearls and see what God has for us tonight? Chapter 27, one of the richest of the chapters of the Proverbs. So like everyone is just kind of a ooh and an ah and uh, a smile and, uh, you know, one of those. <laughs> Let's ask the Lord for to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, now we just pray that you would prepare our hearts, Lord, and, and help us to hear the truth the way that we need to hear it so we could put it into practice and be helped. There's a lot of situations we're all facing, and you have an answer for a big problem that we're facing tonight. I'm sure. So help us to, to get it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1. 
Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. All right. So here, uh, this is such a wise way to live and so difficult for us humans. He's saying, watch out for overconfidence or presumption about the future because it's out of your control. You cannot control it. And I believe that this is what James is going to elaborate on chapter 4 of the New Testament. He elaborates by saying, and this is the New Living Translation, which I love, by the way. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year and we're going to do this kind of business and we'll do this kind of business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life is going to be like tomorrow? You don't even know what you're having for dinner. Oh, that's not in there, but hold on. (laughs) Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then poof, gone. What you ought to be saying, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. So you can leave that up there for a second. Uh, the idea here is, is that when we start saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, we're, we're thinking that we are masters of our own destiny and we begin to become self-reliant and cocky and proud instead of being humble and dependent on God. And that's really it. I, I, I just really, he's saying, listen, everything can change tomorrow. You need the Lord. You can't just say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to make so much money. You know, say, Father God, what do, you, what do you have for me tomorrow? You see, you're not leading the way. He's supposed to be leading you. The sons and daughters of God are those who are led That's a a characteristic of who we are. One quick quote, and then we'll move on. I love this uh, quote. You will never have today back. Who should you love in case there's no tomorrow? Who should you forgive? Who should you thank? Who should you comfort? Above all, what should you be giving God today in confession, praise, and conduct to honor him? You will never have today back. A successful life is a string of godly days put together. Make sure today is the brightest day in that chain. Verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Well, you know, we have a a secular proverb that says, don't toot your own horn, right? And so this is the idea because, you know, It's best to let others praise you because it's not gracious to speak of yourself in glowing terms. Uh, Amen? It's okay to smile in church. It's Honestly, it's okay. Give it a whirl. Very good. All right. Uh, it, It is tough to obey this because we are all such insecure creatures and have such a tremendous uh, drive to be recognized and find our value by what, how others see us. And so that is the problem, why we kept, keep having to plug away and let people know how great we are, right? And so that's the problem. Well, somebody might say, you know, uh, if I don't 
do it, who will? Who will know about some of my accomplishments, <laughs> right? Okay, um, you can smile in church. I'm going to say that one more time. Um, so listen, you can't manipulate others' uh, viewpoints of and perception of who you are um, by saying you know who you know and who knows you and who's your best friend and what you've done and how good you're at it and all of that. Uh, it will do the very opposite of what you're intending to do because people are uh, repelled by that kind of thing socially. And so the strategy against doing this is to be A, other-centered. So my wife is so good at this and she's always trying to help me with it. Um, she, I mean, honestly, in a good way. Um, she says things like, think and talk about others and their things, ask questions about them, rather than telling about your situation, your difficulties, your abilities, your blessings, and your honors. Listen, uh, you know what, when you fill out a resume, you kind of have to put it out there, uh, those kinds of things. It's nice to mention some of the accomplishments that the Lord has done or blessed you with. It's all about the heart. Just watch your heart. That's what's important here. Um, watch your heart. Verse 3. Stone is heavy and sand a burden. I mean, manual labor, okay? Moving rocks. It, it's hard. But provocation by a fool is heavier uh, than both. And so let's talk about that. Sad but true observation here. Uh, the miserable lot for anyone who has to put up with somebody in their life who's acting like a fool. So... We all have a life situation where you're sort of stuck. You're yoked in your life. You're yoked to those coworkers. You're yoked to that boss. You're yoked to that spouse. You're yoked to your family of origin. You're yoked to the family that you married into. Amen? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we, uh, we all have a life situation. If there's somebody in the spoke of your life's influence who is obnoxious or arrogant or an unbeliever who's aggressive and, and causing trouble and has it out for you, provocation is to instigate. So if you're stuck with somebody in your life, he's just saying it is akin mentally and emotionally and spiritually to have to work in a rock quarry all day long. It's heavier to have to deal with a person who's in your life that's always constantly causing trouble. You know what you know, I have down here? It was a joke to me, but um, at first I was thinking, cast your cares upon. If you have that kind of person in your life, you cast your cares upon the Lord. He helps you to sustain such a heavy weight heavy. It's a heavy way. Cast your fool upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. That was the joke I wrote down there. And yeah, okay, verse four. Well, he can carry them. That's not, he's strong. He's strong. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? So this is very interesting to me. There are dangerous human emotions uh, that need to be avoided because they can do a lot of damage. But jealousy makes it to first place. Now, why? Anger and rage. Anger and rage can, can uh, cause somebody to be insane and do a lot of damage. But it's over when it's over. Jealousy gets top place 
because it's a bitter state of being. It can do more damage because it poisons everything about a person. So jealousy is an envy is to be avoided at all costs. It'll rot your bones. It will, it will turn you into a monster. Listen, 1 Samuel chapter 8, you meet King Saul, who when he starts out, you're thinking he's handsome, he's tall, everybody loves him, he's gifted, he's called. But what got a hold of his life was jealousy, and he became a murderous, terrible madman. For 23 chapters, you watch him unravel and go down because he can't stand it that people like David more than him. He can't stand it that they sang a song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. He went crazy right there, and his whole life went down. It didn't matter how handsome and tall he was. And he had all the women he wanted and all of that and riches and everybody loved him and he was king. But it didn't matter because somebody looked at David and said, wow, what a handsome guy. And he killed even more people than Saul. And he just went crazy. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. Amen. What vice did God use in wicked men to carry out his purpose to slay the son of God. What human vice did he use? Jealousy. It was because of envy and jealousy that the Jews delivered him up to be crucified. You watch out. You start feeling jealous, and who hasn't? Or envious. You just die on the cross to that one. Verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. So this one, direct uh, correction is better than unexpressed love. So open rebuke means a frank and upfront, uh, honest criticism or disapproval of something somebody is doing. Um, And so uh, uh, it it needs to be, when you correct, it needs to be biblical, based on truth, not gossip or slander. Face to face, you know, in ministry, sometimes there's anonymous critiquing. Uh, That never works. Because what the anonymous critique is saying, something about what I'm saying is shady because I can't say it to your face. And so that's a waste of time. Uh, And so uh, if it's done in humility too, because the Lord says, get the log out of your own eye first, and then you can help the person with the speck of the problem. And so if that's the case, a love that's timid, a love that's afraid of uh, trusting, uh, afraid to speak out is morally useless. And so... uh, You see the difference. Open rebuke, better than hidden love. Um, So along the same lines, the next verse, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So here we have help defining what true friendship is about because we fall in human beings. We think friends are just there to tell us everything we want to hear and always, you know, warm fuzzies and never says anything challenging and anything. So the Bible just says, listen, a true friend will tell you, oh, 
Not, not only what you want to hear down deep, but what you need to hear, even if it causes you a little bit of grief. Uh, and it, you can trust. Now, you know who a true friend is. Now, 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 some people say, you know, I'm only wounding you in this way because I'm a true friend. You know what? We know who our true friends are, and the Holy Spirit tells us who they are. So don't twist the scriptures to uh, validate your insensitive remarks to people. People do that all the time. Thank you, that one person who's enjoying that little comment of mine. Yeah. You guys think a lot when I'm talking. I know, just telling you, you all have your thinking faces on, you know, and this is what you look like. You're just kind of, you're, you're just thinking, and I wish we could have had those mirrors back up there. It, 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 it would have helped. So uh, uh, the enemy multiplies kisses, you know. So here's what he's saying. Just because someone has said something that hurt you doesn't mean they don't love you. Nor is it true that just because someone is always sweet and affirming that they can be trusted and that they have your back because there's Judas and he was always very nice and then at the end gave a big kiss. So watch out. Listen, you might get confused like, oh, so much work to just have a relationship. All I want to do is have a relationship and I always have to be second guessing everything here with all this wisdom, you know? Well, listen... I have, I have found out that if I walk with God and I read my Bible every day and I'm walking with him, he tells me, he, he tells me, it won't be so hard. Just stay in the word, stay serving the Lord, walk, keep the connection open, and the Lord is so quick to just let you know. Careful, <laughs> careful. Um, verse seven, he is full, loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Uh, this is a good one. There's no crime in being full. So we're not talking about, oh, I'm, I'm full. It's talking about drive and ambition and wanting uh, to, a zeal to serve the Lord. Because when you're hungry, you know, you say, oh, that kid's hungry. You know, Eddie, he's got that drive and ambition. You know, he's saying, listen, we're talking about a full in a negative sense that's complacent. You know, I, I could care less. I'm disinterested. A, a bad contentment that kind of brings on sleep, sleepiness. So uh, as such, they lose their ability to even uh, find sweet things sweet anymore. And so, you know, the, the one who's hungry, the person who's got a little bit of need, you know, got maybe a little bit of trouble, you know, there's something good about that because it just fires you up. There's just something about that. Never lose your zeal. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Listen, there's, when you're like that, you have a gratitude for even bitter things. You're just happy to be alive. You know, you're just happy you had the opportunity. So the, the things like that other people would say, ah, you know, whatever, is sweet to you. You know, you just have a gratitude and a peace about life when you've got that zeal and that passion and that holy ambition. Uh, moving on, verse 8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Now the Bible knows what most people don't know is that male species, uh, male, males of many species of birds incubate the eggs as well. Uh, many, many, many. 
We always think of the, the female as doing the, the nesting, but the, the man, the man, <laughs> the man bird, he, <laughs> he relieves the woman bird, and, and they, uh, the, right, listen, a home without a daddy is a vulnerable place for the chickies. Just think twice about the grass being greener on the other side of the nests, or the trees, or the hills. Listen, everybody says kids are resilient. They are, in a sense, and they're not in another. Be careful. Verse 8, 9, 10, <laughs> 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. You can almost tell in English the trouble in Hebrew. There's Hebrew variants there. It's very difficult, but I think we get it. Uh, it's pretty simple. Advice from a friend is a pleasant thing. He's saying, you know, be cologne, be perfume in your wake when you speak and help people with their issues in life. Verse 10, don't forsake your friend or the friend of your father and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you, better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. This is an interesting one. Um, maintain relationships with friends and, friend, and family friends. Now, what's he saying? It takes work to maintain friendships. And he's saying, listen, a friend of the family, a friend of dad, go ahead and maintain that tie. Because here's he's saying is there's an investment in people that some time in your life, you may need some support. So the unfriendly person has already been condemned as unwise in the Proverbs because we need one another. So if you're unfriendly, you don't have the support of the community. So he's saying, listen, go ahead, utilize the family connections. It's smart because better for you in a disaster are available friends and friends of the family than a brother who's unavailable far away. So don't burn bridges. Go ahead and do the extra work. Well, he's a friend of my father. You know, he's not really my friend. Who cares? He's a friend of the family. Just prize friendships. It's something that people just kind of, especially Americans, just have this thing. It's just me, my wife, and my kids, and a couple friends. Ah. Not smart. That's not how God made us. I mean, you know, can't be friends with the whole town of Santa Rosa, right? But uh, it's smart to be friends with people. Now, there is a slight nuance here about familiarity breeding contempt. Better to go in a disaster to a Christian friend than a biological brother or sister. Why? Familiarity breeds contempt. And I'll tell you what. When you grow up in a family, you are less inclined to treat the person with common courtesies that you would treat a stranger with, right? Because it's your kid brother, you know? So you're less inclined to kind of uh, cut them grace. And so you're saying, listen, when you're really under the gun, it might be smart, depending on your family, right? It might be smart not to go to the family, where all the social barriers are kind of down and people are free to say and do whatever they want because they're just, you know, 
they're your siblings, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Remember the, the point about smiling? I'm going to call a few people out just to help you out. Verse 11. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. Now, he's already said one reason, young man and young woman, why you want to stay on the straight and narrow path is to bring joy, not pain, to your mom and dad. That's one reason. Now, he's going a step further here with verse 11 by saying, Listen, not only will it be a personal joy if you're walking the right way, and what he means is you're a man of faith, you keep your, your word, you're morally good, you have, you're trustworthy, responsible, kind, and loving, that kind of person. Because when dad has a detractor, he's able to deflect some of that by pointing to the son. Or the family. And the family, the, the son's good behavior sort of acts as a deflection to dad's detractors. Instead of the opposite, to where somebody can say, who doesn't like the father or the mother, can insult the family and say, look at your kids. He's saying, son, don't, don't give my detractors uh, any ammunition to do further harm to me by pointing out what a fool you are. Now, it works in reverse. Hillary Clinton was asked mortal enemies to Donald Trump. There are not two people probably on the planet, truth be told, who despised one another more than those two. And then she was asked, point blank, do you think anything good about him at all? Anything redeemable? And what did she say? He raised good children. Bingo. And those kids, those Trump kids, they did a lot of good for that vote because people looked at them and said, he did a good job. Those are his kids. And they shine and they reflect and they're good, decent human beings, right? You can't find a lot of uh, garbage about them. I'm sure somebody can, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, generally speaking, they're hard to uh, pin any um, scandal to. And so it works the other way. Okay, verse 12. The prudent and the wise see danger, take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. You may be thinking, haven't we heard this before? Yeah, we have. And he repeats himself on the important ones. Now, one of the best deterrents for personal disaster is the ability to see a red flag and avert and change your course. What is it about human beings when, uh, listen, let me tell you, long before you hear so-and-so's getting divorced or so-and-so got thrown in jail, so-and-so lost their job, so-and-so died of an overdose, long before anything like that, there were hundreds of red flags to stop the person. God puts so many barriers, barriers, and whoever ends up in disaster, especially as a Christian, has had to jump and jump and jump and weave and bob and get over everything because our Father keeps doing that and just sending signs and saying, look, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. <laughs> oh, that just showed who is old and who is not. Verse 
Well, yeah. Listen, can I tell you my hermit crab story? I, 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 this goes with this verse. So you've heard it before probably. In Ensenada, on spring break with the family, walking on the beach, and along the shore, a bunch of hermit crabs. A billion of them, just like, whoa, look at that. And I'd be walking, and I saw them all kind of in the sun ahead of me. And as I'm walking, they'd all just kind of disappear. I'm like, what? Right? So I wanted to see them up close because there were so many of them spread out, and there were colorful shells, and I was just intrigued. And so I'd take a step, and they're gone. All of them. Right? So I just tried sneaking up on them. You know? I'm like, no way. How big is a hermit crab? This big. Right? How big is a hermit crab's brain? <laughs> Not very big, but somehow the brain is saying, danger, danger, <laughs> danger. And, and all of them, I don't even know how. I was like, are they getting the vibe from, the, from this? You know? or, or, and then I thought, it's the shadow. It's the shadow. Somehow they know. And so I'm watching them, and, and they're all out. And I take a step. They're all gone. Do they have ears? They, they, they don't even have ears, but I'm telling you what. They have the sense to say, big blob coming. <laughs> could, could eat us. Could catch us, crush us, step on us, step on our house. <laughs> right? So they don't want that to happen. They're crabs. <laughs> but I know people, I know people who see the big blob coming and they're like, oh, okay, go ahead and crush my house. Crush my house? Come on, you guys, come on, all of us. Verse 13. That's my hermit crab story. And I'm sticking to it. Verse 13, take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger. Hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. Memories? Yeah, this one comes up a lot. Here's what he's saying. Listen. Co-signing, guaranteeing someone's debt, who is obviously a risk, you might as well hand the collateral over as you're signing. So go ahead and get the lien papers ready for your wages. Uh, give them the keys to your car. As you're doing, if you know this person, is the bank said, no way, we're not going to do it. And you just know the character of the person, but your heart, you know, and whatever, and you're signing it away, just give them the deed to the, to, to the house as you're signing. That's all it's saying. It's just saying, listen, do not be foolish and put yourself in harm's way, financially speaking, because you've obligated yourself to somebody who's unreliable. If you have the money and you want a gift, gift. But if you want a loan, consider it a gift. Consider it a gift. All right, verse 14. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> this is my favorite of the chapter. The importance of timing, all right, and wisdom to have social sensibilities. Now, the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing to do, all right? But you could say, I was just being friendly. The guy's so unfriendly. 
You know, I was walking by, you know, driving my, my car by his house every morning at 6.30. He's a friend of mine, so I just give a little toot, you know. Hey, toot, toot, you know. Good morning, everybody. Love you, you know. And, and that, instead of love you, is like I hate you, you know. Just don't do that. I just hit the, I just hit snooze, right? And that gives you, what, eight minutes of heaven, right? <laughs> And so eight minutes starts off with toot toot, and you're like, oh man, no, 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 no. Look, even a nice gesture delivered at the wrong time will backfire. A greeting when somebody is resting, a happy song when someone is hurting, a scripture when somebody is closed and hostile. You're going to tell me that it's wrong to give a scripture to somebody. Yeah. Jesus said, don't do it. Don't take my pearls and just throw it down on the ground when somebody wants to stomp all over them. Wisdom, wisdom, 15 and 16. Oh, she's back. Uh. A quarrelsome <laughs> wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Now, I don't know what to say. All I can say is it's the number one uh, proverb that keeps appearing because, as I've said a hundred times, the head of the household may be the husband being the head, but the wife is the neck, and she turns the head in any direction she pleases. It's the woman with the power, and it's the woman with, I'm sorry, here we go, the natural inclination to come out from under her God-given role as a, as a submitted wife that she's called to be because of the fall. The Lord said to Eve, you're always going to want to rule him and your daughters. It's in every single woman, a struggle, right? And, and he says, but Eve, it's not going to happen. That's not the case. He leads. But because you stepped out, you're going to cause all your daughters to want to step out and take charge. And so that's going to be the problem. So here's what he's saying here. Verse 16. Um, up until now, we've heard about you know, the reaction to this. Of course, some wife, somebody, and it works for the spouse too the guy as well. Somebody wants to pick a fight about every little thing. You know, everything's important. Toothpaste caps and, and, and bathroom lids and, and everything, everything. You know, parking spaces, everything's game for fight, you know. So he's saying, listen, that kind of person will make the spouse crazy. It will drive them up the wall because it'll be like constant dripping and driving you crazy and insane. So now prior verses said the only escape is to go up on the roof or the attic or make your take a tent and go into the wilderness and live there. So, right. So here it's saying why, why you'd have to move out because you can't do anything about it. But here's the wisdom. You'll never change anybody. You will never change your spouse. You will never change a son or a daughter. You'll never change your boss. You'll never change any human being. You cannot do it, so stop trying. He's, he's talking to the husband here. He's saying, listen, the reason why I told you to go up and live in the attic is because 
You have no control. The gust comes in. You don't know when it's going to gust and when it's not going to gust, right? Now, try grabbing it. Hold it. Hey, I'm going to catch the wind. You know, you're not going to do it. How about, you know, greasing something up and trying to, like a cell phone, if you poured oil on it <laughs> and, and then threw it into the sea, you know, it'd be hard. You know, you know what I'm saying. All right. So that's what he's saying. Listen, there are two commandments here in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means you die for her. And a wife who has a husband like that finds it a lot easier to do what her commandment is. Wives, submit to your husband in everything. Common sense? Common sense excluded craziness. Submit to your husband in Everything as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Bleed out. Get up on that cross. And if you two will just do that, everything will be fine. And daddy and mommy will both be in the nest. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Yes, constructive criticism between friends develops character, but clash carefully, lest it turn into a bloodbath. And that's what happens when swords are flying. Now, we like to say after there's been a sword fight, well, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah, was, is that what that was? That's what I, 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 I want. Listen, I, wanted to, I want to say to people, and I kind of alluded to this already. Do not distort the scriptures to validate your insensitivity and your rudeness, you know? So you say something and you'll say, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know? Hey, look at me, I'll just like, I'm a sharpener. You know what? <laughs> Dude, you're a wounder. If you're not careful, so only God really knows. I mean, you have to stop and be prayerful and, and think about these things, you know? Did you really have to say that? Was it really born out of love or was it born out of something else? Amen. Let's move on. 18. He who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. This is an easy one. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work pays off. Those who, will, who faithfully serve and work hard will be personally rewarded. You know, So faithful employees here, uh, they work hard to please the boss. He's saying, you'll never need to worry about being unrecognized or unrewarded. When you make yourself invaluable to your boss, your boss will pay you more. Your boss will honor you. Your boss will be bragging about you. There are guys around here that I brag all the time about. I embarrass them. They're almost saying, like, stop talking like that. You know, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. But I can't stop because they're just, they're, they go beyond. It's like crazy serving, you know, uh, and they're rewarded. It's, it, there's a reward in all of that. So he's saying, listen, you should be working as unto the Lord anyway. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. You know, So uh, work hard. It, it will pay off. Uh, verse 19, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. 
So he's saying, listen, water, you know, you look into a pond, you can kind of see your reflection. So he's saying, as you can see who you are outwardly by the reflection in the water, a person's heart is who they really are. In other words, when you're looking in the mirror and you see your reflection, that's not who you are. That's the body that you inhabit. It says nothing about who you are. Zero. Who you really are is reflected by your heart. And who sees that? Only God. And God still, in spite of seeing what only God can see, loves us anyway. <laughs> that is so comforting to me. You know, um, when they were looking for a replacement for uh, um, King Saul, uh, Samuel was told by the Lord, go in and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And he had like seven sons and they all prayed by and one of them was gigantic and, and, and handsome. And uh, what's his, uh, Samuel says to himself, uh, oh, surely this is the Lord's anointed one. And the Lord speaks to him and says, hey, listen, it's not Eliam. Oh, he's so impressive to look at, isn't he? That's a nice reflection to look at, but it means nothing because God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward, the heart, and he loves us the same. He knows the true person, not the facade. He knows the real thing, and he died anyway. Wow, that's pretty amazing, amen? amen. Verse 20 Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. Death and destruction, two interesting words in the Hebrew. Uh, death there, really, uh, King James has, I believe, hell. Uh, and it, it means Sheol. It, it's Sheol. Sheol is the place of the departed uh, spirits. It's the dead, the place of the dead, right? So he's saying the grave. It's, the two words are synonyms in Hebrew. Uh, destruction is abaddon, and that's used even for the keeper of the grave, Satan, in the New Testament. So it just means the grave and the, the place of the dead. So he should just say, here's what he's saying. A zillion, gazillion generations have come and plunged headlong into the grave. Every single human being from the dawn of time has been pulled into the grave. And just like, and yet it's not satisfied. Oh, it's still doing its work today, tonight, right? So that's the point. The point is that our grasping, covetous heart that always wants how much? How much is enough? Just a little bit more. That we have a heart that's just restless until it finds its rest in God, as Augustine put it. And so here's what he's saying, just saying, the, the grasping, Jesus said, I know your problem. Yeah, and one rabbi put it this way. A rabbi said, no one dies and has half of what he wanted at his death. It's this grasping thing. So Jesus says, listen, eat of the bread of life and, and I'll satisfy you. And if you're still hungry, in a sense, for more and more and more of the world, after you become a Christian, it's not Jesus' fault. It's not the bread of heaven's fault. There's something user, the user error of it. 
But Jesus promises, if you feed on me that, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more, it'll stop. You'll have the wisdom to say, enough, I'm content. I have the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but man is tested by the praise he receives. Now, I was thinking, and we think, and it's true, a, a, a person's metal is tested by adversity, by how he weathers you know, accusations and slander. Then you find out who the real guy is, right? Ah, uh, he says, you'll find more out by how a person handles praise. Uh, and and how, do you, how do you find out? Well, do they let it go to their head? Do, the, does it inflate their ego? Yeah, I am really great at that, you know. Do they begin to expect that affirmation and live for it? So instead of especially ministry, watch out. You'll find that you're doing things for people's approval and affirmation instead of for the Lord because it just feeds that part of us if you don't watch your heart. And then the worst part I have written down here, it will reveal the unworthy motive of a good deed. Was the only reason you were doing the good deed was to get a little praise? So you're tested, man. You're tested. Just always remember, listen, God has given you gifts and abilities. Find your, your value in God. So you won't need to hear, you know, when you get the praise, you can deflect it to Jesus and say, thank you, God, for giving me that ability. But I know full well who I am and what I would be without you. You just got to keep remembering that. Or God will help you remember it. Amen? Paul the apostle, Paul the apostle said, to keep me grounded and from getting a fat head, the Lord had to give me because I had revelations, I'm writing the Bible, I'm evangelizing the entire world, right? I wrote 13 New Testament books. I went to heaven. I saw things I can't tell you about. So to keep me grounded, God had to give me a tent peg stuck in my side. And no one knows what it was, but it kept him humble and grounded. So that when people said, oh, Paul, no one puts it the gospel like you do. He goes, oh, Ouch. <laughs> you, you know, there's something in the ouch that was helpful to him. 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. A sad reality, and here it is again, you're not going to change your spouse. You're not going to, if you're married to one, I'm sorry, if you're married to a foolish spouse, you're not going to change anybody. You cannot change anybody who doesn't want to be changed, who's a perpetual fool, who's a professional. They've decided they, this is who I am and this is who I want to be. Listen, He's saying it's in their DNA, it's in their blood, it's in the fabric of their flesh. You can grind them in, in this mortar and pestle kind of situation and, you, and you'll just have fool, fool everywhere. You, won't, you can't get it out of him. The only way out is a heart change and they have the switch on the inside. It's up to them. So this is to, to say, listen, you who deal it, there's only... Some things you could do with certain kinds of people. And one is avoid them. 
He says, Proverbs, I have it written down somewhere here. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoop, my bad. It also says it there. But Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from a fool. Some fools, you, you have to put distance there. It's not good for you. Secondly, for this kind of guy, you only pray for them. You've got to pray for them. It, and they have to have a come to Jesus moment, man. You, you've tried the grinding. You've tried everything. Stop. That's what he's saying. Stop. Pray. Pray, avoid. Love. Be cordial. Be courteous. But, you know, I think thirdly, the conclusion for me would be lower your expectation when you're dealing with somebody who wants to be a fool. They want to be that way. They've told you over and over and they've got years of experience at it and they like it. And, and, and you can try until, you know, you can try all, everything, pleading. I know somebody who pleaded, pleaded 10 years for their mother to stop drinking. 10 years that she died of it. 10 years of wrapping his entire life around trying to get the full part out. It has to happen by grace, by a strike of God, not you. So, to, so for all you caretakers and all you firstborn siblings who want to, to help all the fools in the world, <laughs> just stop. Work on yourself, right? Verse 23 through 27, and we're done. This is, we go out with a bang here. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field, you will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and nourish your servant girls. And so with that, we've ended chapter 27. Let's talk about it. Um, a warning against a lax attitude with personal finances. And listen, especially when things are good and you have money in the bank and you have a good, reliable uh, paycheck to depend upon. That's the time. The guy's got, he, listen, he's got a crown. He's, got, he's a dignitary, you know. He's just saying, things can change in a heartbeat. A drought can come. You know, and, and here's the thing about blessing. Some people say, I'd rather be in a trial than be blessed. Charles Spurgeon used to say that. Charles Spurgeon used to say, because when I'm in trouble, I'm on my knees, I'm spiritually alert, I, I'm all fired up for God. I'm dependent. I'm humble. I'm, re, I'm in the word. But when I'm blessed and there's no threats from any side and there's money in the bank account and all my friends are saying beautiful things about me and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm not seeking the Lord in the morning. I'm not fasting and praying at lunchtime because I really need to get a hold of God. Why? Because I've been lulled into a false sense of security by the very blessing of God. So that's why maybe he withholds some of that from us because some of us can't take it because it, it means stop praying, stop reading your Bible, stop going to church because things are so good. 
So he's saying, listen, don't do that. Pay attention. Balance your checkbook. Just slide the card. Well, I think money's in there. You think money's in there? I'll find out soon enough. Just, yeah, you will. But really, no. That's it. Balance your checkbook. Know what's in, in the account. Uh, use cash. Use cash. Because you feel it. You know it. And it's leaving your hand. And you're like, oh, come back to daddy. <laughs> That's like, whoa, that $20, you, what, $23? Wow, right? But when you're just going, you don't, you don't feel it. You're not paying attention. You'll spend so much more, even with a debit card. You will spend a lot more than if you just have little envelopes with cash in it and, and you bring it out, you know. It's just smart. And he says, then, you know what? When it's snowing outside, guess who's all cuddled under the comforters that you just went out to Target and bought because you had money in an envelope for new comforters, you know? And uh, whatever. <laughs> There's nothing, there is nothing like the feeling of being a good steward so God is blessed and you've got the ability to take care of people with your funds and be generous. And to, to, to look at your kids warmly dressed and, and adequately fed and all the bills are paid. Now, I, sometimes you go through hard times even when you're doing the right thing. I understand all of that. But he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention so that that joy is like, wow, you know, and they... When the car breaks down, you, get, you bring out the, the car fund. It's there. It's just a lovely thing. It's because you're, you're, you're living with intentionality with your finances. It's not just this. And you don't spend every penny of your paycheck so that you're completely broken to your next paycheck. Put some of it away. Have some of it right there. You know what's hard, and I'm closing with this, I promise. <laughs> Anything, the biggest challenges in life require the most discipline. Think about it. The challenge of dieting and being in shape, that's a challenge to all of us. Why? Because it requires discipline, right? Maturity, character in the Christian life. It's hard. Why? Because it means discipline. It means getting on my knees and spending an hour in the morning maybe of reading and praying or, you know, going to church and serving and finances. Who likes doing a budget? Who likes working out? Well, you know what I mean. Who likes not eating chocolate cake and eating broccoli? All the time, broccoli and chicken. I'm so sick of chicken. Oh, I've been eating chicken all my life. It hasn't helped me <laughs> as much as I want to. I'm done with chicken. No more. Do you know what I mean? Listen, listen to that last part. The greatest challenges in your life are the ones that require of you the most discipline. Ask the Lord. It's not for a lack of discipline. It's for the lack of the desire for the discipline. Ask the Lord to change your heart and my heart.
so that we actually enjoy the process. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for these pearls of wisdom. They're just so uh, valuable, uh, more than rubies and, and pure gold. That's what you've told us, and it's true. They save us from disaster and death and ensure a quality life. What could be more valuable than that? So we pray, Lord, that you minister to our hearts. Help these things sink in deep. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.